Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? All right, today we are talking about humor. It is one of my favorite strategies to utilize, to get kids to comply, and to get our nervous systems back to neutral or get our brains back to calm. So I'm going to re-reference something I had reviewed in an earlier episode, which was the barking dog and the wise owl. So with the barking dog, wise owl hand signal, it's a representation of your brain. And what you do is you tuck your thumb across your hand and you wrap your fingers around your thumb. So your thumb is your barking dog. It's your emotional control center. And your four fingers that are wrapped around your thumb are your prefrontal cortex, your thinking brain, or what we call the wise owl. So essentially what happens with anyone, child or adult, is something triggers you and your dog starts to bark and then your thumb starts to act like a barking dog. And then your fingers, your wise owl, it flies away. Meaning when you are emotionally elevated to a certain point and your dog is barking and your wise owl is chased away, we can't access logic and reason. It's almost like that part of your brain is hijacked or it shuts off. And there's a certain point in which you get so elevated that you actually can't even access communication because the broca center of the brain shuts down, is turned off. So with this hand signal in mind, we want to think about not only what is triggering the dog to bark and ways to get the dog to stop barking so that the wise owl can come back and we can think logically and clearly again, but we also want to find ways to get us from the the barking dog into the, the thinking brain or ways to stay in the thinking brain. And guess what? Humor is one of those ways. So humor will naturally take us from an active barking dog to our wise owl and our thinking brain. And this is great to use with kids because it very quickly shifts them from one emotional state to another. And that's what we want. Okay. So let's talk about before ways to use humor. What do we know based on research about humor? So we know that humor has been evidenced to obviously add joy and happiness to our lives. And as we all know, laughter is the best medicine. But it also creates optimism. And in a world that is overly exposed to stressors and breeds people who are exhausted and overly productive and productivity being the highest level of success or uh, measure for your day, optimism is something we need more of. It also improves and increases your confidence, self-esteem, and enthusiasm. Shocker reduces stress, shown to reduce stress levels, which makes sense because your stress is being activated with your barking dog. And if you stop your dog from barking, your stress levels are going down. Also, um, 
it helps you to enjoy and take part in more playful aspects of life. And this is a big, big, big area that I have been learning about, reading about, researching about play. In Western world, we are moving so, so, so fast. So in the United States, again, we are people who want to do all the things and have this and have that and do that and be here. And we don't slow down a whole lot. And we definitely don't access those fun, lighthearted areas of play. So by utilizing humor and using humor and incorporating humor into our lives, it helps us tap into play. What does play do? Helps the dog to stop barking, but also neutralize the nervous system. And we want that because our nervous systems are a little bit out of balance right now. It also helps us to handle and accept differences, which is kind of interesting as we are all very tense and defensive and a little bit more emotionally reactive. This really helps us to breathe, filter, and accept differing opinions. It also helps kids deal with childhood adversities like teasing, loss of a parent, changing schools, moving to a new neighborhood, all these stressors that might have been, kids might have been exposed to in their childhood. I would say that's one area of, and ironically, it's, it's for the last year or two, always been on my goal list of finding ways to add humor to my life. And one of the best ways I have done this is adult improv classes. I did not want to go to them. I was working with an acting coach who is helping me improve my ability to speak at conferences. And she suggested that I move from our one-on-one lessons to the adult improv classes. And I'm like, absolutely not. That is so terribly uncomfortable to me because acting and no, just no. Um, I'm so grateful that she pushed me to do it because I did it. And I think it was only six or eight weeks. Every Wednesday night, an hour, I will honestly say of everything in my week, there's nothing I looked more forward to than that hour on Wednesday nights because I knew for that hour straight, one, I was just going to let go of everything I had held on to all day or all week. Two, I was going to laugh for an hour straight because even people like myself who I don't, I don't think I'm very funny, everyone was laughing at me and I was laughing at I'm with everyone else. So everyone was funny. Even people you wouldn't guess are funny. Even people who don't think they're funny were so funny. And maybe we just had a really awesome class leader, Deborah. Kudos to you, Deborah, uh, for bringing out everyone's most funny side. But I don't know. I think you could just pick up an adult improv class, get a group together, or pick up an adult improv book, get a group together and do some skits or some series and uh, enjoy it a lot. And there's so much fun. I know as we plan and prep for these in-person retreats in the future with parents and, and educators and helping people to reduce stress and uh, just learn some awesome brain and nervous system hack, hacking techniques, humor and improv and things like that are definitely going to be included. So yes, um, helps deal with childhood adversities. And uh, like I said, it's been on my goal list. I have been seeking it a lot lately in the last year or two. And I've been trying to intentionally put more areas of humor in my life. And that's probably because my childhood was super stressful and always very serious. And I was always having to be independent and on my own. I didn't have access to humor as a child, a lot of it anyhow. And I, I now as an adult really seek it to almost make up for the time lost. So add more humor. Also helps with communication skills, thinking skills, and creativity. Why is that? Because it calms your barking dog and gets you to go back into your thinking brain where your thinking skills and your communication skills live and also some of your creativity because when we're stressed out, it's hard to be creative. 
Okay. So what are some ways we can actually add humor to our lives and to our kids' lives? Well, I shared with you improv. That definitely works. Jokes are really good. Um, Here's a good one for you. Why did the nurse bring a red pen to work? Just in case she needed to draw blood. (laughs) I only like that one because my mom's an RN and uh, I thought she might appreciate it. So I keep that one locked in my brain. But there are some maybe better jokes than that. (laughs) There are kids jokes, there are kids joke books. Kids can read jokes. We can read jokes to kids. There are tons of children's storybooks that have humor in them. I mean, I know this one's maybe more designed for adult humor, even though it's written as a children's storybook. But um, Mo Willems is one of my favorite authors. And it's just now dawning on me probably why I love him so much and his work so much is because it's all so humor-filled. And it's so lighthearted. And I, I again, am chasing that in my life because of lack of it in my childhood. So I love his work. So he's got a lot of really good ones. Uh, I especially like his uh, parody for uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. That's the one that the, the story makes me laugh. I don't think the kids quite get the humor, but um, as you're reading it, the kids seem to enjoy the story and you get to uh, access the humor. So books are really good. Jokes. Um, For younger kids, I'll do a lot of like silly movements or funny voices, or I'll make objects talk. If they don't put their shoes on, suddenly their shoes come alive and their shoes talk. Or if they have a chore to do, the the thing that they need to do comes alive and it talks. And just allowing yourself to step into that lightheartedness and that fun and dance and move your body in funny ways and use funny voices. Again, to go back to like, I am not a great actor, at least I don't view that as a strong suit for me. But when I taught third grade and these are what, nine-year-olds, we always had to review these math facts every day and it was so boring. And I, I was bored with it. I could tell they were bored with it. So I'm like, okay, how do I make this more fun? So I started going over the math facts in an English accent and, and the Brits would be <laughs> appalled by my English accent. It's horrible. But because I allowed myself to step into humor and lightheartedness, the kids enjoyed the math facts a lot more. In fact, a lot of them looked forward to that part of the day because they were always giggling and laughing at my English accent. And at some point they actually started asking if they could respond in an English accent. So they totally took part and and enjoyed it and, and stepped into the play of it. So I really appreciated that. So funny voices, robot voice. I feel like anyone could do a robot voice. Um, and you can just make up funny phrases and funny sayings. Like I, I remember there was this one where I read about where a mom put this like sign on the door. Maybe she put the sign around her neck. I think she put it around her neck, like on a string or something. And it was like, very stressed out company coming in one hour. The house is a mess. Don't do anything to upset me right now until this house is clean or like something along the lines of that. And like, as soon as the kids came in the door, she pointed to the sign instead of telling them, because if she tells them that verbally, there's emotion behind it. There's a intonation that's probably more harsh and the kids feel like they're being told what to do. Therefore, it activates their stress response and makes them defensive. With the sign on her neck, on her chest for them to read and her pointing to it, it sends the message without so much emotion behind it in kind of a light, fun-hearted way. So you can leave humor in the form of notes as well. Also think about your age group of your kiddo or who you're talking to, working with. Obviously, some of those things won't work with teens, so I have to shift and adapt. So can you use humor with teens in a different way? Can you find it, use it 
through social media? Can you do it through gifts or memes or texts or something that they relate to a little bit better? And there are a lot of amazing, I'm not a huge fan of social media. I, I try not to be on it very much. I think it's, I know it's designed by neuroscientists to be addictive. I don't want to be addicted to it. I don't want to spend my life um, on there and be comparing myself to other people or other things, but there are some beneficial aspects of it. And the, the accounts that I do follow are ones that are really, really funny and I will say when I get on and because I follow accounts that are funny or that give me information about <laughs> things I enjoy, I am rolling on the floor laughing when I am scrolling through there. Sometimes I have to turn it off just to stop laughing because some people post some very funny things, especially with the TikToks and Reels right now. They're so lighthearted and funny, most of them. So if you're going to be on social, at least access some humor while you're on there. Uh, and if you still want more ideas for humor, I would say one, there's a blog post you wrote on the topic. Two, just search like ways to be funny or ways to add humor to your life. And you'll get unlimited results and ideas uh, from Pinterest or whatever you're looking at online. So lots and lots and lots of options there. Okay. That's all I have to say about humor, at least for today. Maybe we'll come back and talk about this in a later episode, but I want to go to today's listener question, which comes from Virginia. And the question states... What do you do when the number, the amount of student needs is greater than the amount of um, students, staff available to support those needs? And I would guess that in most classrooms and in most schools, that is the case. There are more student needs than there are people to meet those needs. And I would love to see education make a shift where we have smaller class sizes, but that would mean that we would need more teachers and more space. And because schools don't get the funding to provide either of those things or both of those things, it's unlikely. So we focus on what we can control. If we can't add more staff, how can you start to meet those needs with what you do have? So the first thing is what's within my locus of control. I would encourage you to actually make a T-chart, make a list of things in my control, things out of my control around this topic and, and write them out. And the things that are without it, like without of your locus of control that you cannot control, do not focus on those things because you're probably not going to be able to change them. But look at the side that does have within your locus of control and focus on those things. So the biggest thing here I would say is we are wanting so quick. We're, we're an instant gratification society. We want to go from where we're at to where we want to be instantly. And we don't want to spend a lot of time or energy getting there. So Instead of making that big leap, which is usually not sustainable, I would encourage you to, to work on micro changes. Think about what, what little steps you could take to meet those student needs, micro steps, tiny little things that don't take a ton of your energy that would help um, the student get closer to having that need met. And along those lines, I would also think about can you get creative? Because sometimes we're so deep and far into the problem, we don't really step out of the problem and sit in the problem and think about what are some actual solutions to this problem? And how I've gotten a lot of these problems solved in my classroom in the past is not by asking myself and not by asking other educators, but by asking people who are in the educational realm. Because sometimes they have an outside perspective that I never even thought of. So, seek and ask for help, ask people for support, ask people for ideas, go to people outside of education. And again, just focus on what's within your locus of control and get creative with your solutions. All right, to wrap up the show, I'm going to share with you our tried at home tip, another one of my favorites, one I just started integrating every morning in my morning routine. So my morning routine is 
about 20, 20, 20 method. Sometimes it's 10, 10, 10. I get up, I do 10 to 20 minutes of yoga. I do 10 to 20 minutes of breathing or meditation or both. And then I do 10 to 20 minutes of reading. So this technique I started to integrate during my meditations. It's called the Wim Hof method. You can look this up by just searching Wim Hof online. There are lots of videos of him showing the breathing techniques, uh, his approach, and then the research behind this, why this is important is because it's shown to reduce inflammation and it's also shown to reduce stress. And that's because it activates the parasympathetic nervous system and actually helps you switch between the two systems. So really awesome way of helping to get back to neutral. So how do you do it? Well, this breathing technique is a little bit more in depth and takes a little bit more uh, intention and it's a little bit harder to remember because there are a couple of steps to it. So let's go through all the steps. So with the Wim Hof method of breathing, what you do is you take a breath in and then you breathe out really fast. So it doesn't matter so much if it's nose or mouth, I would encourage you to breathe in your nose. I breathe out my mouth because when I'm breathing out really quickly, it's hard to do that through my nose, but you can do both through your nose. And if you need to, you can do both through your mouth, but breathe in, quick breath out, hold your breath as long as you possibly and safely can. So hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Can't hold it anymore. Breathe out. And then you're going to breathe in again. Hold it for 10 to 15 seconds and then breathe out and then go back to some normal breathing and then go through it two, three times. Okay. Just to review those steps, it is breathe in long, slow breath, quick out breath, hold your breath as long as you safely can exhale and you're going to inhale and hold it for 10 to 15 seconds and then go back to normal breathing. All right. That is it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember our tried at home tip, Wim Hof breathing. And if you would like me to answer your question on a future episode, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com. And until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer and thank you for joining me. 